This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Don't forget, top of the hour. Claude Julian stops by, former NHL coach. Uh, also, Luke Fox from Sportsnet.ca on the Toronto Maple Leafs. That's coming up in hour two as well. In the meantime, we turn our attention to the PWHL, the Professional Women's Hockey League, and Senior VP of Hockey Operations, uh, the Hall of Famer, Jana Hefford, joins me now. Jana, how are you? I'm good. How are you, Jeff? Uh, I am well. Um, I don't know how to describe it. Uh, uh, eager, anxious, nervous, excited. Uh, January 1st is on the horizon. I would imagine when the calendar flipped from November to December, uh, many people in the PWHL said, okay, it's getting even closer. Um, how are you sleeping these days, Jaina? Uh, not a whole lot, but it's uh, we've been on this pretty ambitious <laughs> timeline for some time now, so it's there hasn't been a lot of sleep for, for anyone involved in the last number of months, but we're also just so yeah. energized by the opportunity and, and what we're able to be a part of and, and to help build. I, I was going to say, this is, like it's not exactly a secret, this is a huge lift, and, and getting this thing done as quickly um, and ambitiously as, uh, as everyone is is, uh, is certainly a testament to everyone involved. Uh, let me ask about the Utica preseason camp here, and I believe today is the last day uh, of camp with, with three more games, and I know some of the rules you're looking at, uh, two-minute majors. Um, did you also do the, the no icing on the penalty kill? How have these two gone over? So we started with uh, a few things, actually. So we started with the long change in the first and third period of our first two days of games, yep. uh, which was, uh, I would say, not, not overly well received by the players, as you can imagine anyone who's played <laughs> the game. The long change, it's not fun to get stuck out there. Yeah. Uh, we still need to look at the data yep. to understand if it's actually creating more you know, scoring chances as a result in those periods. Uh, so that's still a work in progress. Uh, we did do the two-minute major, which... Um, you know, I think was was positive. There certainly are some cons that have been brought up to us as well. Uh, the hockey crowd is pretty t- traditional, so we're, you know, we're trying to suggest yeah. that our players and, and staff be open minded to potential changes. We're not committing to any at this point, but so we did do that. And then mm-hmm. today, we actually, rather than doing the no icing, we implemented the shorthanded goal freeze your player out of the penalty box. So we're in game two. We haven't oh, had a shorthanded goal yet, but that's one oh, that I think there has been some music. interest and excitement he- around here. That is, Jaina, that is music to my ears. I uh, Selfishly, I love that rule. Uh, please, please, well, you please. you and I talked about it, fingers. so yeah. Uh, yeah, I know. I'm, I'm hoping. I, I, listen, I, I've always like, I just want to do one thing to affect the game. Like, I've been covering hockey professionally since 95, and I've been a fan since I was five years old, but I've never been able to do anything that moved the game forward. If I can get one little tiny little rule change in somewhere... I'll be a happy guy. Um, so, you know, it's it, one of the comments there really resonates with me, and it's I think it's a balance everywhere. I think uh, I think your league will will fight with it. I know the NHL does, the American League, the ECHL, like all hockey leagues, fight with this. How do we move the game forward? How do we progress and reflect the times and reflect the tastes while still at the same time, you know, and Canadians are very specific about this specifically, not moving it too far to the right or to the left. So it still mm-hmm. has that familiarity. Like as much as you have a blank slate to essentially do whatever you want here, like there's no history in this league. That's starting on mm-hmm. January the 1st. How do you how do you walk that line between moving it forward, being progressive, but also respecting what hockey has always been? 
Well, we've always said that that we're going to be traditional, but not traditionalists. Uh, we're in no way, shape, or form going to do anything that makes the game gimmicky or anything along those lines. But you know, I think we do have to not you know stay within our, our box and and think that you know no progress is okay. Yeah. So I think we just want to you know have everyone be open minded, think creatively and innovatively, and and see if there is something we can do. And and maybe there's not, but it, it's certainly worth a try. So, I mean, I think that's where our mindset's at. And when we look at other sports, you know, and what they did in Major League Baseball and making the game faster, uh, you know, I think they saw direct results in, in people who watched yes. the game. It's simply as, you know, a rule like that, which doesn't impact the game itself, but it certainly very much impacted the fan experience. And, and that's what we have to know as well, is that, you know, we're a product, we're entertainment. And you need people that are going to want to watch and and sit in the stands. And so we're appealing to them as well. Let me swing back to that, uh, the long change in the first and third. Now, the long change, uh, as we're used to in hockey, occurs in the second period right now. And uh, I I understand the philosophy behind it. I mean, fatigue leads to breakdowns, leads to turnovers, leads to momentum swings, and leads to offense. I know that the players don't like being tired out there. Jana, you were a player. You know what it's like to have your tongue hanging out and you uh, can't, can't get back to the bench. But how have the players reacted to it? Like, do they understand the idea of, of why you're at least experimenting with this? Yeah, you know what? The players didn't push back at all on anything we've asked them to implement, at least not with us. You know, sometimes I think the coaches are the harder ones because they're so precise about, you know, a coach is a happy, happy if they win one, nothing. That's, that's their job. That's what yes. they care about. <laughs> um, so they're, they're a tougher yeah. crowd than the players potentially. But, you know, I, I do think there's a strong argument that we also don't want to slow down the game. And if, if you too often are getting players out there that are very tired and can't get off, then that's potentially, yeah. you know, a negative to that rule. So it, it was really good to see it in practice, and, and we'll have a really strong debrief uh, likely on Monday about everything we did here so that we can move mm-hmm. forward and make determinations on our, our final rules. You know, I've always felt that um, four to three is the perfect hockey score. There's just enough goals that people get to see, you know, seven goals. Like, that's great. That's awesome. You go to a hockey game and you can see seven goals. And I think if you score four goals, you probably should win a hockey game. Um, right. But it's not a blowout either way. And it's also not, to your point, one nothing, where a lot of coaches get happy. Um, does this league want to, and I, I, I see what you're going with, with the, the two-minute major idea and the long change, put the accent more on offense than anything else? I think so. I mean, when you look at what fans love, uh, you know, of course, <laughs> they love when a goalie has a great game, but that's not typically yeah. who they're going to see. They're going to see, you know, Sidney Crosby or Connor McDavid or, you know, whoever that is, Mary Fleet Poulin, Hillary Knight. And, you know, you want to see those players do what they do and exhibit the skill that they have. And so I think, you know, there's no doubt that people want to see goals. So I think we have to look at what is going to create offense in the game because, you know, the coaches are really good and they figure out a way to slow the, the game down and minimize oh, yeah. those chances. And I think we got to counter that to find ways to create more chances. Okay, you know what? Here, I have another idea for it. I'm just going to workshop this on the air with you because I'm with you. Like, coaches will find a way, for lack of a better term, Gina, to wreck everything. Wreck all the f- They've wrecked the three-on-three now I didn't in the say NHL. That. Like, it's all neutral zone regroups. I know that's not your words, Gina. That's mine. I'm taking all the. Gina Hefford did not say that. That's Jeff Merrick trademark. They've wrecked the three-on-three. But how about this then? Um, for overtime, get rid of the coaches. They have to leave, they have to leave the bench, just let the players go. Uh, I don't know if I'd have a job if I did that. 
<laughs> okay, so that workshopping didn't go over very well. Um, let me let me ask you though about the uh, the NHL All Star Game uh, and the PWHL's participation in it. I know you have so many different plates you're juggling right now and uh, just trying to get the league you know underway on on January first. But you know All Star is going to be huge, and it's in Toronto uh, as we know it, the uh, the center of the hockey universe, etc. Um, how's that? coming along like how much energy you've been able to dedicate what the pwhl is doing there well it's such a great opportunity for us and you know can't be a better platform of the nhl all-star game in toronto of all cities in one of our markets and so it's just such a great opportunity for us and and since we launched this league the nhl has been incredibly supportive and there's lots of different ways that they have supported us um, through resources through people through events um, and it's so important to us to, to be able to tap into that experience, the, the expertise they bring, the marketing. Um, so this is just, it's a really exciting event for us. So, you know, thankfully they've got some people mm-hmm. that'll do a lot of the lift on the event, but it's one that's a really important one for us. So, you know, once we get off the ground on January 1st, um, you know, we will be focusing on that pretty quickly, but, um, you know, there's work in progress as we speak, um, but it's just, it's something we're really excited about. And, and the collaboration with the NHL just continues to get bigger and better and, and stronger. And, and that support means, you know, incredible amount to us. And it's important as mm-hmm. we build this league. Speaking with Jane Hefford, uh, PWHL Senior VP of Hockey Operations, a league poised to launch on January the 1st. Uh, Madame Athletic Center, Toronto hosting New York. That is game one of this brand new league. You know, I probably should have asked you this earlier. Um, when do you put the, the rules package together? Like at what point do you say, okay, these are the rules we're playing by. So mm-hmm. players and specifically coaches have a chance to sit down and start to wreck them. Well, most of our our jobs are as soon as possible. Um, so, you know, yeah. it, we don't have a lot of time to play with. So we have put a rule book in place. We're working off the NHL rule book with some adaptations, of course, around body checking and fighting and full facial yep. shield protection and all that sort of stuff. So the rule book's there. Coming out of this week, we will look to adapt anything we need to based on the experience we had here. So, you know, we're 95% there in the rule book, and it's been shared in its present form with our GMs and coaches, and we'll just finalize these last few rules should we choose to implement any of them in, in regular season play. Neck guards? Currently where we sit is, you know, we strongly recommend them to our players. Uh, we have made them available should players want to try them. Um, but we're, you know, haven't mandated them at this point. Um, but there has been a strong take up of players who have wanted to try them. And I think that's, that's really promising for us. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, it's challenging. I know as a player that, you know, the comfort level is, is just not there and players don't feel comfortable wearing them. And, and sometimes it's just getting used to them. And other times it's just, you know, maybe we got to find innovative ways to make them more comfortable, but we, we strongly recommend them. I, I spent my whole career wearing one, so I, uh, you know, yeah, understand the importance of them, yeah. but it's a tricky one to, to mandate at this point, but we certainly are providing them to anyone interested in, in wanting to wear them. Um, are there any updates on ticket sales? I understand that uh, the season subscriptions have gone well. Yeah, it's been really great since we've launched tickets, and it's been different in each market. But Toronto, obviously, I think most people have, have seen that have followed that we had to stop selling season tickets. So the uptake there within yep. two days, uh, we maxed out on what we could do on season tickets, which is really exciting. Uh, and then our other markets are, are all doing well. And in, in talking to, you know, our ticketing department, they're, they're outpacing 
the predictions and the projections we had for those markets. So we're actually, you know, we're really happy. We're playing in, in various buildings, uh, depending on the availability, uh, whether it be just what actually exists in those markets or being a second or third tenant and the scheduling piece of it. Um, so we have some incredibly, you know, big buildings like the Excel Energy Center in Minnesota, 18 yep. to 20,000 seats. And then we have, you know, is Mattamy, which is, you know, about 3,000. So various groups, but, you know, for us, we know this is going to be, you know, this is growth mode. And, uh, but we're overly, you know, excited about where we're at in this initial ticket sale. Yeah, it's uh, listen. I, I I think a lot. I mean, I'm excited about it. I mean, obviously, everyone from your end uh, thrilled about this, and it's good to see that the market is reflected in excitement as well. Um, thanks so much for this. I know you got a lot of plates that you're spinning. I get it. Uh, real busy. Thanks for parking time as always with me today. I appreciate it, Jana. Yeah, anytime, Jeff. Thanks. She uh, is Jana Hefford. She is the Senior VP of Hockey Operations for the PWHL, uh, the new 16 Women's League poised to launch on January 1st, Madame Athletic Centre in downtown Toronto. That's the old Maple Leaf Gardens, by the way, folks. Uh, but you knew that. New York facing off against Toronto in Game 1. Uh, Six-team Toronto, Ottawa, Montreal in Canada. Uh, Montreal looks really good, by the way. Uh, Minnesota, New York, and Boston. Boston looks really good, by the way. Uh, so we'll look forward to uh, this league launching on January the 1st. In the meantime, uh, time now for Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bets Local. What is up, Matt Marchese? How's it going, Jeffy? I'm good, man. I haven't talked to you in like uh, an hour here. Is uh, Otani a Blue Jay yet or what? Do we have an update still on uh, Otani nothing. watch? Still nothing. He's still not a Blue Jay. You know this is going to happen at like 2 a.m. Eastern, and we're going to be scrambling going, what the heck is going on here? I'll, I'll get up to see that. <laughs> I'm certainly not keeping the phone on loud tonight, but I will get up to see that. Yeah. I'm excited about it. Like, seriously, I'm, I, I, I'm like... The the closer it gets, and the more that I watch, you know, MLB Network and various people, sort of, you know, here's here's the pie chart of where we think he's going to go, and when it looks overwhelmingly Toronto Blue Jays, like I, normally I don't get sucked into these things. Like I just figure, okay, everything everything in my life is fifty fifty. It's either going to happen or it's not. Mm-hmm. But man, uh, the hook is deep in this fish. Like, just get me in the boat. Like, I'm I'm right along there for the ride. Because <laughs> I don't think we've seen. I mean, when's the last time we saw something like this? Like LeBron, probably. That, that's what I, the decision. Yeah, I had that conversation with somebody. I was trying. LeBron is the only one that comes to mind. Literally the only one. Because you don't. Yeah. When you think global superstars, soccer doesn't really happen because it's a it's different the way that they do things. It's not like. There's free agents, but it doesn't really work that way. Um, and in uh, hockey, not international as, as you know, Shohei Otani is. Um, and certainly the NBA with their, uh, with, you know, being in China and, and all over the world and internationally. Yeah, I think LeBron is probably the next closest one. Yeah. Anyway, okay. So we'll we'll stand by for uh, for Otani watcher. Yeah. Meantime, uh, what hockey game are you thinking about tonight? Oh, it's the Battle of Ontario, Jeff. It is the Maple Leafs at the Senators. Uh, the puck line is Maple Leafs, the road team, minus one and a half. Toronto has not covered the away puck line in six of their last eight away games and in seventeen of their last twenty overall. Uh, Ottawa has won five of their last seven home games. 
No Thomas Shabbat uh, tonight for the Ottawa Senators. You know, Ottawa's made a lot of headlines over the past couple of days, and we're still continuing to talk about it, and that is the the return to the Ottawa Senators of Jacques Martin. Mm-hmm. And I don't think this can be disassociated from what we saw with uh, Daniel Alfredson going behind the bench uh, in Sweden, and now Jacques Martin has re-entered the mix. And DJ Smith uh, yesterday said all the things you would assume that DJ Smith uh, would say about being supportive, etc., I just have a hard time believing that this is something that DJ Smith would greet with open arms. But we'll see. This is uh, day one with uh, Jacques Martin as a consultant, essentially, for the uh, the, the coaching staff. Um, Ottawa always sticks it to Toronto. Uh, Ottawa always does. Like This is one of the teams that always plays Toronto tough. Uh, the Florida Panthers always play Toronto tough. The Tampa Bay Lightning always play Toronto tough. And, you know, the uh, the Battle of Ontario is, is really always a tough one here. Except um, in the playoffs. Listen, Ottawa's coming off, except in the playoffs. <laughs> I mean, that was like so many. How many years ago is that? Long time. Joe Neuendijk throwing a couple of knuckle, a couple knuckleballs through Patrick Laleem. Like, oof. Um, but this is like this is an Ottawa Senators team that's just won a couple of games here. Most specifically, just beat up on the New York Rangers. It might be the best team in the NHL with all due respect to the Los Angeles Kings. It's going to be anything but an easy out for the Toronto Maple Leafs, even though you have a look at the Eastern Conference standings and you find the Ottawa Senators in the basement. And you can be sure there are a few things that DJ Smith enjoys more than beating his old team, the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, that was Line Change presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local. Uh, Claude Julien coming up to kick off hour two. Luke Fox at the bottom of the hour. More Merrick Show across the Sportsnet Radio Network, Sportsnet 360, and wherever you get your podcasts in moments. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The JD Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Jeff Merrick along with you. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, Luke Fox from Sportsnet.ca will get you caught up on the latest in Brad Living and Leaf Land as they hunt for more defensemen, uh, specifically one to replace John Klingberg. But what else does Brad Living have up his sleeve? We'll get into that with uh, Luke Fox coming up at the bottom of the hour. The Maple Leafs will face off against the Ottawa Senators in Ottawa a little bit later on tonight. And in Ottawa is where we find our next guest. Uh, he is longtime NHL coach Claude Julian. He joins me now. Claude, thanks so much for stopping by today. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, listen, uh, a couple of things just to, uh, just to start when you, uh, when you watch the game right now, and I want to drill down on, on a few players that you've coached and you've watched mature over the years, but, um, how do you feel about the way the game is being played now? Uh, where do you think the premium is being placed? Which, uh, positions are most important? Like how do how does Claude Julien see the game now? Is it profoundly different, uh, than when you started in the NHL? Oh, no doubt uh, from the start to, to what it is right now, there's there's a big difference. And I think, you know, what ends up happening as the years go on, uh, the game evolves, uh, coaches and uh, teams find different ways to either take advantage of the offensive opportunities or to tighten up defensively. And I think we've seen a lot of teams this year that have tried to uh, adapt their defensive system to a different one that they've used in the past so that they can 
get a little bit better on that side of the ice. And I think that's where games evolve and uh, where teams find ways to take advantage of a situation. Then the next thing you know, teams are finding ways to counter that. And uh, that's what you're seeing in the mm. NHL today is the evolution of the, that kind of game going from, you know, one area to the other and then trying to uh, not reinvent the wheel, but trying to take advantage of uh, certain things they see happening in the game that will uh, benefit their teams. You know, it, that's a really interesting comment because I, uh, I look at the sort of cat and mouse between shooters and goaltenders right now, and like you know this better than I do. For the longest time, goalies had the advantage. Goaltenders would spend the offseason working on their craft, working on you know becoming a better goaltender, and guys would go and lift and try to get their strength back. And, but that has changed, and now guys work on their shots and pre-shot movement and how to manufacture goals and getting themselves in the, the, the right spot to shoot and top-hand grip and bottom hand grip and all these different ways to uh, different ways to shoot um, and it seems now as if shooters have the advantage and it's swung back now that goalies have to adapt to how shooters are, are are composing themselves do you find that dynamic has shifted as well oh sure it has and I think uh, as you mentioned the game evolves and shooters find ways to you know again counter what the goaltenders were doing to them for a long time and I think Again, I go back to what I said earlier. I think that's why a lot of teams are trying to make adjustments with their defensive type of game so that they can help their goaltenders out and minimize the, uh, I guess, the quality scoring opportunities. And, uh, you know, that that goes to what you just said, uh, Jeff, as far as shooters mm -hmm. probably having an advantage on goaltenders right now. You know, I, I look back at your career and I'll, I'll ask you about a couple of uh, a couple of goaltenders, well, one specifically and how you think he would fare uh, with his style of goaltending in today's game. How do you think Tim Thomas, Claude, would fare in the NHL right now playing? Listen, he was fantastic on route to a Stanley Cup. Could that style of play work in the NHL right now? Well, you, you know, it's, we always think it's not going to work just like a lot of people was, weren't sure about uh, Tim Thomas at the time because you, he, it wasn't about style. It was about compete level for him, and he never quit on any bucks. So you kind of wonder whether, you know, again, in, in this day and age, whether that could still work. And that's a good question, to be honest with you. I don't know that I'd have the answer because, you know, when a guy competes as hard as, as Tim did or, you know, even Hasek, for that matter, who had the, a lot of the same yes. style, it wasn't about you know, being butterfly goaltender and being in the right position. It was more about, the, you know, how hard they competed and the, their instinct to stop pucks. And uh, both of those guys had similar, uh, I guess, styles, and yet they both had success. So I don't think I'd write him off today mm -hmm. just because the game's changed a little bit. Uh, those guys, uh, I mean, every coach looks for players like that that compete that hard at, at night in, night out. So, uh, you know, it's a, again, it's a good question, but I don't know that I can answer that. Let me, uh, let me try you on one other uh, Bruins goaltender that you handled, and that's Tuka Rask. Now, today at Boston Bruins practice, Jeremy Swayman is under the weather, so Boston's e-bug is Tuka Rask, and he's come in. Uh, like he's just been one of our favorites for, for so long. What was Tuka like uh, for you to coach? Oh, he was great. You know, Tuka, you know, had a good sense of humor. He was one of those guys that, you know, uh, as we all know, goaltenders have their own personalities and sometimes they're not easy to to, uh, to deal with because of that. Uh, but in his case, uh, his teammates loved him. He was an outgoing person, uh, really good about everything. And again, uh, you know, probably the, 
didn't quite get enough credit for what he did for the Boston Bruins yeah. uh, in a lot of ways because, I mean, he was a good goaltender from start to finish. I mean, he replaced Tim Thomas, took us to the finals in 2013, and uh, definitely, to me, was a really good goaltender from from the time he stepped into our lineup till the time he hung him up. Um, speaking of goaltenders and coaches, you know, I, I know that there's 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 one coach uh, whose name I won't mention, but he uh, he's he's told me that whenever he interviews for a new job or gets offered a job, his first question is always, "Who's our goaltender?" Um, when you're interviewed or you have a chance to to ask a question of a team, what's your first question? It's more about you know what what direction is is the team taken because you know to me that's important to know. Uh, when you're going to be coaching the team, are, are we in a more or less a rebuilding phase or are we in a progression phase? Or are we, you know, uh, all in to win and all that stuff? I think it's important to know because the, the thing you want to be as a coach is be on the same page as what upper management is on. And uh, you need to know which direction they're mm -hmm. going. So that's one of the things that uh, I would ask as a first question. Uh, it, to me, it's important. And it's important, like I said earlier, to be, on the same page as upper management in order to to have continu continuity sorry and uh and make sure that you're coaching mm -hmm. the way that they would like and the way that you would feel comfortable doing it um a couple more bruins questions for you then i want to get on to uh, the the game today and and what you're up to right now um <laughs> did you ever think that's okay. Did you ever think that in 2011, when the Boston, your Boston Bruins won the Stanley Cup, that Brad Marchand was going to be the captain of the Boston Bruins one day? Well, uh, this hasn't been the first time I've been asked that question because it is a, an interesting uh, choice, I guess, for people who don't know Brad. But the one thing that Brad always did when he came to games, even as a you know a young player who at times needed to some, uh, I guess, some advice on how to control his emotions and all that stuff. He would always come to the rink prepared, focused uh, on practice days, you know, on even morning skates. He loves to have a good laugh with his teammates and, you know, uh, joke around and all that stuff. He's a funny guy, but the minute he stepped into the dressing room on game nights, it was all about focus and uh, he really prepared well uh, he would be on his own, he'd be stretching, he'd be focusing, he'd be doing all those things right. So I think, you know, obviously uh, the people that surrounded him over the, his early years, you know, from the Cheras to the Bergerons to, you know, Chris Kelly, and then just to name a few, Mark Recchi, who was uh, his line mate yep. the year we won. All those guys had, a, guys had a really good influence on him. So definitely he learned a lot from them. But give him credit for uh, being a, a real pro when it came to preparing for games because that was on him from the beginning. And uh, I think over the course of the years, I think the, the players learned to respect that part of it uh, from him. And uh, again, I think they, the people in the organization and, and I'm sure his teammates felt that he would be a, a good guy to wear that, uh, that letter, although you know, people from the outside may not agree. He's been a great coach. Yeah, a great captain. Like he's been fantastic for the Boston Bruins. Like there's really been a maturing process that we've all watched Brad Marchand 
um, go under here. That's that's marvelous. You, you mentioned Patrice Bergeron and Zidane Char a second ago, and you know I, I think there was that one year, and I want to say it might have even been your Stanley Cup year, where when Bergeron and Chara were on the ice together, like the possession number was like sixty-five or seventy percent. Like nobody else touched the puck. Like I'm uh, just imagining, Claude, you're you're behind the bench and you're watching when Bergeron's on the ice and Chara's with them, that you're just dominating possession, and those two are seemingly controlling, you know, controlling the play like a conductor in a symphony. Was that the um, the uh, like one of the great luxuries as a coach, knowing that at any moment you can throw Bergeron and Chara over the boards and you'll own the puck? Well, there's no doubt, you know, those two are really important keys to us winning the cup, but also to the success of the Boston Bruins. And, uh, you know, you got Bergeron, who's such a smart player, but also is great at managing the puck. As you mentioned, uh, Zdeno Chera was more from strength and using his body mm-hmm. to protect that puck and uh, also to separate other players from the puck and getting it back. So we had the luxury of, you know, those kind of players who brought you know, a little bit of a different element to the uh, puck possession. But uh, at the end of the day, uh, we did possess the puck a lot with those two guys on the ice. And uh, that's a luxury that not too many coaches have, but uh, one that uh, I was able to take advantage mm-hmm. of. And now, uh, anyone listening or watching right now, uh, if you follow Zidane Chara on Instagram, you know that he's running marathons and he's running triathlons, and you know, no, no surprise that he's that he's keeping active. And you know, one of the things that I was always told about Chara um, was that a couple of times a year, he just needed to get a fight out of his system. Like I can remember Dave Lewis like wouldn't let him. Like no, there's no fighting. Gloves, gloves stay on. Don't do it. And I was told that Chara sort of got frustrated by that, that he needed to just get it out of his system. Is that accurate? Well, I, I think so. I think he's the, the thing that I didn't mind with Zidane was that he was smart enough to know when to drop the gloves. And, uh, you know, you want those guys yeah. on the ice as much as you can. But at the same time, uh, there was a, a real important message sent to, to the other team once he uh, decided to drop his gloves and do something about it. And, uh, you know, when I'm going to say it was calculated, it was calculated in a way that he felt that he needed either to stand up for himself or, or defend the teammate. But uh, he didn't just go out there and drop the gloves for the sake of dropping the gloves. I think at the time we had the luxury of having other players that were able to do that, whether it was, you know, Sean Thornton, uh, we had McQuaid, uh, for example, mm-hmm. Luchik, those guys. So he didn't need to do it as much. And I think that was a, a benefit uh, to us to have money ice uh, that much more, having some uh, teammates uh, ready to defend him as well. But uh, no doubt, I never told him that uh, you're not allowed to fight. But at the same time, he knew that I wanted him on the ice more than I wanted him in the penalty box. Let me ask you about Mark Savard. Um, Mark Savard, now an assistant with the uh, with the Calgary Flames. Uh, to me, him and Joe Thornton in that era, the two you know premier passers. Although I don't think I ever saw Mark Savard throw a pass that wasn't in the air. Like he was like the master of the sauce. I don't think he ever passed the puck just a, a, along the ice, but it always landed on the tape. Um, did you ever think that that Mark Savard would join the coaching fraternity? I mean, such a highly skilled player and great thinker of the game. Uh, did you ever think he'd end up behind a bench? Well, you know, you never know with players, right, and what what's going to happen. And we know how his career ended with those uh, that famous concussion. Yep. But at the same time, you know, uh, where he was in St. Louis earlier on in his uh, uh, in the NHL coaching career, he was a 
he was working on the power play there. I think he's doing the same thing this year with Calgary. And he's one of those guys that uh, was yep. a, definitely a power play specialist and was able to see the ice well when the, you gave him time and was able to find players. So uh, not surprised that uh, he is being utilized in that capacity as far as, you know, the offensive part of the game because he was really a, a smart player, as you mentioned, uh, would find a way to get pucks to, to his teammates, uh, whether, as you said, saucer pass or, or – through uh, legs or sticks or whatever. He was a really smart player that way. Mm -hmm. And uh, so uh, not surprised uh, in a way that he's doing what he's doing right now. That's certainly a, a strength of his. Let me ask you about coaching um, and how your thinking about coaching has evolved as the game has evolved. And, I, and this answer I know is predicated on, well, what type of team do I have? But um, let's say you're behind the NA, an NHL bench um, tonight. There's 13 games in the NHL this evening. Claude Julien's behind one of the benches. How has your change? How has your thought process about coaching in the NHL right now changed? Like, what kind of what kind of coach would you be in the NHL right now today? Well, you know, there's no there's no doubt uh, in in order to survive in this. Uh, coaching fraternity kind of thing, you have to be able to evolve with the game. And I think, you know, you mentioned to me earlier uh, when I started coaching to what it is now, not only has the systems, you know, changed as far as adapting, but also the coaching uh, uh, approach has changed a lot. The players today are different than they were uh, 20 years ago when I started in the NHL. And uh, so you have to be able to adapt. And I think there, there's a fine line there between uh, being able to, you know, have an ear for the players and, and kind of listen. But at the same time, there's that fine line that they have to understand that you're the one in charge and, uh, you know, what you say is what should go. And uh, so you're trying to work with them and trying to find a really good compromise. Mm. But at the same time, it's got to be a compromise that's got to be effective for your team. So it is a little bit more delicate than it was before. And not only that, uh, Jeff, I think, you know, the fact that there's 32 teams and only 16 make it, uh, to the playoffs, there's already a lot of pressure on coaches mm -hmm. to to be able to to perform to what the team's expectations are, and uh, that can be tough at times too. So there's a lot more pressure, I think, on coaches than there was some of it to to uh, succeed mm -hmm. in getting to the playoffs. The other one succeeding and and making sure you've got a, a team that wants to play for you and and wants to compete every night, and that's something that that hasn't really changed. But the uh, I guess the personality of players and the approach of players from now to what it was, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago is different. Does it not feel, it's interesting, you mentioned pressure, I'm talking to, to we're in conversation with Claude Julien. It, it's interesting the way you, you mentioned pressure right now because it feels as if, you know, the idea of easing into a season is gone. Like, there's no easing into a season. Uh, first couple of months, get our legs underneath us, we'll see what we have under the hood and what kind of team we have. It's like it's a sprint to the playoffs starting from game one all the way to game 82. Like, there's no more, like, do you find that, Chloe, that there's no more sort of easing into a season? Like, you start the season sprinting now. Yeah, no no doubt. And, you know, you've heard this probably many times, Jeff, that, uh, you know, teams always look at the American Thanksgiving as a point of referral as far as where they are yeah. because a lot of those teams end up that are in the playoff position most of them will end up in the playoff position at the end of the year. So if anything, the start of the season now is probably more important than even the middle of the season as far as a lot of teams are concerned. Mm -hmm. They want to get their legs under them. They want to get some, uh, I guess, a little bit of space from the people that are behind them, and they want to 
be in a playoff position by that uh, by that date. So I think that's really important. And I think that's what's really hurt a lot of teams right now. And, you know, you're hearing it from the Edmonton Oilers. They're trying to claw back into it. The Ottawa Senators who have uh, games in hand are trying to claw back into it. And uh, although they have games in hand, it's not easy because teams in front of you keep winning. And uh, sometimes you feel like you're not able to catch up. So a good start, I think, right now, mm-hmm. getting your feet under you, like you, you were mentioning, uh, is not what the – teams are looking for anymore <laughs> players are showing up yeah. at training camp in tip-top shape and if they're not they're in trouble so uh, that's the expectation in today's players let me ask you about that uh, we always hear about oh you know a new player joins a team and it's going to take a while until this player learns the system oh they have to adapt to the system it's going to be some growing pains uh, as they adapt to this system you've coached for a long time how many ways are there to play hockey like when we talk about a player needs to adapt to a system, first of all, is it hard to adapt to a new system? And second of all, how many ways are there to play hockey? Well, I think, first of all, is it hard to adapt to a system? I think a lot of that depends on the player himself, whether he's overthinking mm-hmm. or, or you know, there's a big difference in, in certain areas of the game that uh, he's thinking about a lot while he's playing, which will restrain his uh or hold him back as far as being able to be the player he is. I think my message to new players coming in was always go out there, play, play hard, play to your strengths. And if there's adjustments to be made, we'll make them as we go along here. But uh, I think it's really important to let players go out there, feel confident and then bring what they can bring. And I think, uh, you know, unfortunately everybody uh, reacts differently. There's players that are, you know, nervous type players that, uh, you know, or worried about little details and then it struggles with that. Some players come in there, they don't care, and they just go out there and play. And all of a sudden you say, wow, it's amazing how quickly he's adapted. So sometimes we forget about not so much the system, Jeff, but more the personality of the player. And uh, some players put a lot right. of pressure on themselves and expect to, to be at their best right from, from the get-go. And when they don't, then they start putting more pressure on themselves. And, and we all know what that does to you as a player. You know, when um, when your name is brought up, and it's brought up often, uh, when there are coaching vacancies, uh, the word around Claude Julien is structure. This team needs structure. Claude Julien is perfect for Team X. When you hear that, what goes through your mind? Well, you know, I, I'm not uh, going to deny that that's, I think, what I enjoyed the most about, uh, you know, coaching teams and having success is that we had structure, but... You know, I think what people have to understand is structure is not refraining players from doing what they have to do. Structure is just something you put together mm-hmm. so that each other can read off, you know, uh, each player on the ice. And we know exactly what we need to do, which means less thinking and, and more reaction time. And, uh, you know, when I look back at, uh, you know, some of my statistics or if you, you know, the stuff that comes with the, being a structured team, we're often, uh, you know, uh, one of the top teams defensively, which we took a lot of pride in, but people kind of looked at it as he's a defensive coach. Yet when you looked at the offensive numbers, you know, we were creating a lot. And Montreal is a good example of that. You know, we, we weren't scoring mm-hmm. as much as we would have liked to, but we were creating, I think, in probably the top five in the league. So sometimes, you know, it's it's more of you look at, you know, what you're creating. Is it is it because you're not creating 
quality chances or is it because you know your personnel probably doesn't have uh, the natural goal scores that maybe other teams have so you have to be able to live with those kind of things but structure is something as you mentioned Jeff I, I put together to kind of simplify the game for players and making sure that everybody right. knows what they're doing on the ice without overthinking no doubt you'll be back in the NHL, Claude. Thanks, uh, as always, for stopping by. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, enjoy the rest of your day, and we'll catch up soon. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Appreciate it. Uh, Claude Julien, longtime NHL coach for the Montreal Canadiens, uh, the Boston Bruins, former Windsor Spitfire, all of you, you listening in the uh, in the OHL region, uh, where my voice is reaching right now. Um, you know, it, it is interesting whenever a sort of uh, a, a team loses its focus and, and loses its way and needs the quote-unquote structure coach to come and put things back together. Um, Claude Julien is top of the list, and I, I mean that legitimately. I think that Claude Julien somewhere down the road, maybe sooner than later, ends up coaching in the NHL again. Uh, coming up at the bottom of the hour, Luke Fox will stop by. We'll talk about uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs and their situation. John Klingberg uh, will miss the entire season. Um, we'll miss the entire season. So now Brad Trilliving gets to work and he's already been at work. And we know the, you know, the, the pursuit of Nikita Zadorov and that didn't come to fruition, uh, for Brad Trilliving. He ended up with the Vancouver Canucks, uh, still strongly believe he's pursuing Chris Tanev of the Calgary Flames. Uh, I wondered off the top of the show, and I still do wonder, uh, if Nick Sealer and Sean Walker, would be a pair that would uh, would interest Brad Treliving, but there are a number of names uh, certainly that are out there. Um, but also, it seems as if you know maybe the New Jersey Devils, uh, because of the Dougie Hamilton situation, is there all of a sudden now another buyer in the marketplace competing uh, with teams like the Toronto Maple Leafs or the Arizona Coyotes, uh, looking for a defenseman. We'll see where that ends up. Uh, Matt Marchese returns in advance of Luke Fox from Sportsnet.ca. Hello, Matty. I like Claude Julian, by the way. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I'm glad you asked that question about the structure thing because I feel like, in a way, not that Claude Julian's not mm-hmm. a great coach. He's a Stanley Cup champion. We get that. Um, if he, I thought yeah. maybe he felt like he was typecasted. You know what I mean? Like, this is the only role that Claude Julian can play. But, but it's an important one, too. If if you're going to be typecast with anything, yeah, it might be. It's that. like he's a responsible, <laughs> he's a responsible coach that gets the most out of a team. I don't know what am I missing here, as opposed to just like opening and closing the gate and saying, "Ah, go have fun." We'll try to win games six to five. I don't know. Like I think like his reputation is is still sterling, and you know I I, I know that for a long time, you know Claude Julien was uh, was rewarded very handsomely for his his work in the NHL, and and rightfully so. Um, I just wonder how many times he's come close mm-hmm. to uh, to NHL uh, to NHL employment, but for whatever reason, it's uh, it's never come to fruition. But I, I do think somewhere down the road, he's he's going to coach in the NHL again. I, I did like when he said because there is that the negativity surrounding structure. He like he said, structure doesn't mean that you stop guys from you know, being able to be creative and stuff like that. Because that is the one thing that everybody goes, oh, structure, well, then you're going to play like the 95 Devils. Well, no, that's not what that means. It means no. that, like, and that's no. where that's where people think it's such a negative thing, but it's really not. Like, you, you want your teams to play structured because when things break down, yeah. you have your structure, and that's so important, especially in today's game. Like, because games can get away from you real quick if you don't have your structure in place. Um, who won the Stanley Cup last year? Refresh my memory. 
You tell me, Jeff. No, I, I mean Vegas I, Golden Knights. No, I know. And the, well, I structure team. And who's the coach? Structure team. Bruce Cassidy. Another another structure former Bruin. Go figure. Team. Structure team. Uh, Philip Broberg, by the way, has been sent to the American League. Hmm. That is uh, the latest. The latest. Um, you know, I, I, what I, one of the things that I just got a note from from someone about it. Um, I always do wonder how many different ways there are to play hockey, because by my estimation, there are maybe six, but probably four. Maybe five, but probably three. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's why I always have a sort of a, a laugh at the. Uh, he needs time to adapt to the system. First of all, you know how good these players are. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know how quickly they adapt to situations. That, that you know how good these guys are. Yeah, and I, I always find that interesting because, and we see it in other sports too. Like, oh, how they adjust this. I think it's less so about adjusting to a system as it is adjusting to playing with teammates. Like for for a center That's to it. play with I wingers, totally agree. A, a defenseman to play with a, another D partner. I think I actually think that structurally, it's harder for a goalie to go from team to team. Because it, it, what you see oh, in front of you is, is entirely oh, yeah. different. And, you know, we've seen goalies. Look, okay, the best example of that right now in today's game is Cam Talbot. Because Cam Talbot did not have a good year last year. And there was, you know, nobody yeah. wanted to sign him and this and that. And then the LA Kings signed him and everybody says, oh, they're going to go into this with Phoenix Copley yeah. and Cam Talbot. Looks pretty good now, doesn't it? Well, it's because in front of him, they've got a good team and they play what? Sound structural hockey. Go figure. But I do believe you know that's true. You, you know, I, I, I think that that's true about the players around you, the team, uh, the teams you're playing against. Like, you know, Kevin Woodley always goes at it from In Goal Magazine and NHL.com, the goalie whisperer. He always goes out as a way to mention that, that this goalie is not a good fit with this team and this is not mm -hmm. going to work. Like, we just assume that, oh, you know, uh, Philip Grubauer was great with the Colorado Avalanche. Boy, the Seattle Kraken got themselves a good one. Philip Grubauer is still the same goaltender. Now, I know that they're two profoundly different teams that play profoundly different ways, but still, like, Grubauer didn't just stop being a good, good, good goaltender. You can make the argument that he's probably in the wrong spot. And you know who I wonder about that with lately? Who's that? Jacob Markstrom. Hmm, Jacob yeah. Markstrom. Yep. I wonder about that with Jacob Markstrom. Like, you pick a team in the Eastern Conference, for example, that's looking for a goaltender. Um, and I would put New Jersey in that mix now, too. Yeah. I wonder... If someone like Jacob Markstrom on another team, like Jesus, crazy as it may sound, maybe even say the Buffalo Sabres, um, but Jacob Markstrom on a team like the New Jersey Devils, for example, is he not a profoundly different netminder? Again, like that's gonna that's gonna need a deeper dive from someone like you know the goalie whisperer Kevin Woodley. Kevin's on it because that all depends on how <laughs> how did he probably has the answer like in his hip pocket right now. We call Kev how they play, who they're using, how they're using them. Um, what type of chances they allow, what type of chances they protect, and all of a sudden you'll find that the goalie in one spot is not the same goaltender in another spot. I, I think you're bang on about that. But I do wonder about Markstrom that way. Yeah. Because I don't think Markstrom forgot how to play net. No. I don't. I, I, I don't think anybody does. I do that with a lot of, even players. Well, I do the same thing with coaches. It's the same conversation that we had about the Edmonton Oilers. I don't think, I don't think Jay Woodcroft became a bad coach overnight. Team wasn't doing what they needed to in no. front of them. And shockingly, Connor McDavid starts scoring a few more points. Goalies start making a couple more saves. Hey, look at that. The Edmonton Oilers have won five in a row. 
unsurprising so to no of, one. Speaking of coaches, I know that there's been a lot of heat on Lane Lambert. I get it. Um, that loss against the San Jose Sharks after yeah, they were good. up four to one. <laughs> Not great. The Islanders are facing the Columbus Blue Jackets tonight. Patrick Line did not make the trip. This one's at home. If things don't go well here, I don't know. Islanders fans will let them know it for one. No, not Islanders fans. But, it can't be them. There's oh, no yeah. chance. Islander, Islanders <laughs> fans. Oh, by the way, speaking of fans, just real quick before we get to break, Luke Fox on the other yeah. side. You know what's great? What's that? <laughs> feel bad for Carolina through all of it, but when's the last time you saw, and maybe it's only happened the one time this season, you saw the Oilers get a standing ovation skating off the ice. Yeah, no. Like, d- skating off the ice in the first period <laughs> yesterday, standing ovation. Yeah, no, didn't think that was going to happen. Man, times have changed. If, if it was going to be with the Oilers, you would have think it would have been like a sarcastic standing ovation. Like, oh, yeah, you guys did a really good job right? tonight. Yeah, no, it was it was a genuine yeah. one last night. Uh, they were excellent, and, the, and Rod Brindamore. I love Rod Brindamore because he is just so honest. And his when he talked to Darren Bang in between, he's just like, Yeah, no, we're this is the worst I think we've played. And I think we're just gonna turn the page on this one. Was absolutely perfect. And no. uh, and his- it, the his, his his line was his his line was the best one. Like we're gonna lose fifty to nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know how we're gonna find our you way out of this one. Said, we're we're playing like we're gonna lose fifty to nothing. It's on the bench. I wonder. With Darren Bang I wonder in front of everybody in front of him. That's what I was gonna say. I wonder how purposely that was done to be like, yeah, you know, you guys really suck tonight. Um, I'm gonna tell you now, and everybody on TV that's watching this is also yeah. gonna hear that I did this to you. Hey, you know what's you know what's a wild thing to think about? Bruce McCurdy uh, tweeted this yesterday. I've been thinking about it ever since I retweeted I think I it saw last this. night. You know the Warren the, the Warren Fogel goal, the breakaway goal. Yeah, that wouldn't have counted in a shootout. No, because it's a double tap. Yep. Wild day eh? because a shootout is supposed to replicate. Wow, well, yeah, supposed sure. to replicate a breakaway, then but cha- it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have counted. Then not a chaser. That'll replicate a breakaway. <laughs> You can, can you see the Players Association oh. getting proposed that? Here's what we want to do. We want you to race as fast <laughs> as you can into the net, and someone's going to chase you. There won't be injuries. No Don't chance. Don't worry. Everything will be fine. No chance. You see the potential for absolute chaos there yep. and injury there. Uh, all right, let's hit a break. Luke Fox coming up from sportsnet.ca. We'll get on the uh, Maple Leafs page. Which direction does Brad Treliving turn? Maple Leafs in action tonight uh, against the Ottawa Senators. Uh, we'll get on the Maple Leafs page. Uh, Foxy stopping by here in a couple of moments. Merrick's show continues across the Sportsnet radio network. Simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and your favorite podcast platform. Back in a moment. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. You know who I love? Kevin Woodley from InGoal. NHL.com. The goalie whisperer, we've talked about him before. The minute someone mentions anything about goaltenders, it's like the bat signal. Woodley tunes in. So he chimes in on the Markstrom talk that we just had a couple of seconds ago. Top 10 adjusted numbers by Clearsight Analytics. 
just playing behind a team that's giving up too much uh, save percentage, expected save percentage in the 860 range. Actually, he tweeted something out not too long ago. I'll read this to you. Luke Fox coming up here in a couple of seconds uh, from Kevin. Heard a lot of criticism of Markstrom's play this season as part of analysis news today. He's out with broken finger, but uh, clear sight analytics hockey has him top 10 in goals saved above expected, 8.81, despite second lowest expected save percentage in the NHL, 8.59, outperforming that by 2.2%, 10th among starters. So take that, you uh, Jacob Markstrom haters out there. Okay, from Calgary, we turn our attention to the Toronto Maple Leafs in action against the Ottawa Senators tonight in day one of the Jacques Martin as a consultant era. Luke Fox of Sportsnet.ca joins me now. Luke, how are you? I'm doing well. Yeah, I saw Jacques in the the stands at at morning skate. And and what I would say is it's pretty cool to be around the Senators. Like I saw Alfie there. Chris Neal, all these guys, yeah. you know, important, important alumni just milling about on a weekday morning skate, I think is just a positive sign for the vibes around the, the organization now. I, I, I get it. Like, it's fun to see the alumni around. Like, at, at a yeah. certain point, like, I know Philadelphia went through something sort of awkward with a lot of the alumni and the decision-making and et cetera, et cetera. But I, honestly, I, I think it's important to have alumni around. Like, I think it's important. Like, you, I think you and I talked about this at Stockholm, uh, during the Global Series, having the sort of fence mended between the Maple Leafs and Matt Sundin. A lot of that was Brendan Shanahan uh, making that happen. I think ultimately that's a great thing. Like, I think that your team stars need to be around as much as possible, whether it's players, whether it's coaches, whether it's managers. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, big-name people from various eras, I think it's important to have around your organization. Whether it's Steve Eiserman uh, approaching Patrick Kane and saying, "Don't you want to wear the winged wheel?" Like I, I think that, I think this stuff matters a little yeah. bit, and it, it's it's kind of cool, right? Like hockey's such a a sport that leans into its tradition that it, it's nice to see you know the different generations involved in the day to day when it's possible. Okay, let's get into the day to day here of the uh, of the Maple Leafs and Brad Treliving. So um, didn't work out with the Zadorov situation he ends up a Vancouver Canuck uh interest believed still to be there for Chris Tanev of the Calgary Flames um there are two names that I wonder about for the Toronto Maple Leafs and I know that other teams have called I get it um but the two names with the Philadelphia Flyers are Sean Walker and Nick Sealer now mm-hmm. one's a right shot one's a left shot uh, I know that you know Walker isn't that you know snarly type player or defenseman that Brad Treliving uh, might want, uh, but he is having an outstanding season for the Philadelphia Flyers. And to the point about having a player that has some snarl and some bite to his game, that is very much Nick Sealer. They're both on expiring contracts. Whether it's these players specifically, Luke, or just, or, you know, something similar, are these the types of defensemen that Brad Treliving is out in the marketplace looking at right now? Yeah, well, I think for sure he's looking for a right shot because either it allows, gives him someone to play with, with Jake McCabe on the second pair, or, I mean, all we have to do is look at his attempt to keep Luke Shen in the mix, and if he finds a right shot to yeah. play with Morgan Riley on the on the top pair, then you can bump Brody down, uh, who's a lefty comfortable playing his offside, and that you know just solidifies your top four. 
Because right now, I mean, even if Klingberg didn't get hurt, I think he was looking at these options. It, this just now frees him up some cap space to to be a bit more aggressive in the market. Or if something like Zadorov comes up and the team is like, uh, well, we want you to take the whole salary. Well, maybe he can now. But this was a, a need of his right from the beginning because I, I, I don't think he was completely satisfied with what he went into the season with because as soon as injury hits, um, you know, you got Mark Giordano yeah. playing it, playing in the top four. That's not what you want. He's a third pair guy. Right now, they got William Lagason playing in the, on the second pair, and this guy started the season with the Marlies. And I think, you know, no knock on him. I think he's a fine seventh defenseman. Can play your bottom pair when you have injuries, but you don't want him in your second pair. So I think they want a guy who can play the right side. That's their most immediate need. Uh, like you said, some, a guy mm. with a bit of sandpaper. Hopefully, you know, kills penalties. Uh, would be a bonus, willing to block shots. And the guy that's out there, it's just the biggest fit is Tanev. Um, and then you're, and then when you go beyond that, you're kind of like, oh, okay, he might work, might kind of work. So I think Trey Living is going to be a little bit patient here um, and see, like, who who shakes out. Like, we're three months away, right, from the trade deadline. So some teams might fall out yeah. and some new guys might become available that we're not thinking about. I'm going to throw another name at you, and I'm not, I'm not reporting that he's checked in on him, but he just kind of fits the bill because right. I think Trey Living would also like some term, and this guy has another extra year of term, and that's Will Borgen in Seattle. Mm-hmm. I, I, I hate the way the Kraken are playing right now. They can't score. Their goal differential is horrible. It looks like they're, they're going to be in tough to make the playoffs. And Ron Francis, as you well know, is, is a really patient general manager. Um, and, but Will Borgen has another year of term. It's cost-effective. Uh, he might be a good fit, and, and he's not so much money that they wouldn't be able to go shopping for either another defenseman or I think he, he's also not completely satisfied with the third-line center position either. Domi's done okay, but I think he wants a 3C that is a little bit more defensively responsible. So I think that's like kind of a secondary need for the Leafs, but I think he's poking around there too. You know, it's interesting too, though. You know, one of the comments, and again, like with any manager, you got to try to, you know, put on your, whether it's, you know, uh, Ron Francis, Seattle, Dakota Ring, or the Brad Living, Toronto, Dakota Ring, and try to figure out what they're telling you while they're not telling you something specifically. You know, I, th- I thought the comments about, you know, the Toronto Maple Leafs who tried to win the Stanley Cup in previous years, pretty much an indication that Brad Living doesn't want to pay the same prices. Uh, that Kyle Dubas has paid over the past couple of seasons trying to get a Stanley Cup to Toronto. Did you see that or hear that the same way? Yeah. I, well, well, I think what he's finding is, you know, when he's in these, you know, kicking tires stage or, or throwing around conversations, it's like, what does he have to offer? You know, they don't even have a second-round pick. Yeah. They got their first-round pick, but Toronto has, you know, made this habit of always spending their first-round pick at the deadline, um, Dubas was, was fir- so firmly in win-now mode. And then you get into the prospects, and, and who do you want? Like, what's Nick Robertson's value? I, I don't know if it's that high. I mean, surely teams would like mm-hmm. Matthew Nyes or, or Fraser Minton or, or uh, Easton Cowan. But then at that point, like, do you really want to part with any of those pieces? So it's, I think for living, what I, the sense I get is, is he's really torn. Right, because all his best players are firmly in a in a win now mode. They're in their prime. All the the big guys are, are having decent years, but you kind of weigh it in like, are we are we one piece away? Like, should I spend 
mortgage even more of the future when the franchise has been mortgaging the future for whatever it is, four or five years now. They're, they're always spending. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you see the Nylander situation right now? And how do you see the dominoes falling after that comes to... Um, I'm, first of all, I'm assuming the conclusion is he gets signed. Uh, where the decimal point in, you know, where the decimal point is, we can haggle. Um, but how do you see the Nylander situation playing itself out? When does it actualize? And then what are the dominoes that fall after that? Because I can't help but think that the Nylander situation is married to another negotiation with Mitch Marner. Yeah, you have you have to have a plan long term, right? And whatever Nylander gets, Marner's going to ask for more because. Yeah, Nylander's been more productive this season, but Marner will argue, I play against the toughest lines. I kill penalties. I, my ice time is higher. Uh, I've, I've been more consistent throughout my time here. So uh, the prices of mm-hmm. these guys just keeps going up and up. And I, I, I don't see him leaving right now just because I think the one advantage Trey Living has over the competition. Well, there's two. One is the fact that I believe, absolutely believe Nylander when he says he wants to resign and wants to be a Maple Leaf and likes playing in Toronto and has no interest in leaving, you know, his, his beloved TTC. The other thing is uh, <laughs> they can offer, they can offer an eighth year, right? So if he, he, yep. my sense is he doesn't want to do the Austin Matthews thing. He doesn't want four or five years. I think he wants this to be the knock it out of the park. This is my career deal big huge number and Toronto's advantage is first they're the only ones that can negotiate him with with him right now but the, secondly they're the only team that right. right now can offer him an eighth year so can you get the AAV down a little bit by giving him an extra year um, so I, I think maybe that is one benefit Trey Living has but I don't they're mm-hmm. just still from from what I know there's still a massive gap and it's gotten to the point now where I think you just play out the year and, and and really try to buckle down on negotiations after. Dangerous, though, no? Yeah. I mean, oh, absolutely Living just went dangerous. through that not too long ago with Johnny Gaudreau. Yeah. With the same agent, Lewis Gross, too. It's it's absolutely it's dangerous. Yeah. But, I mean, how do you see the goaltending? Otherwise, the team is just, just, you know, his number's so high that the team would just be giving in at this point. He has all the leverage. They, they right. gave the, uh, they gave this player the leverage. Um, goaltending. How do you see this working its way? Because listen, I, I think there are a lot of teams that are out there looking for a goaltending. I think New Jersey's, you know, having a, some some second thoughts about their uh, their net mining situation as well. Uh, where do you think the Maple Leafs are on their tandem? Yeah, it's 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 kind of interesting. So for the first time. Uh, Ilya Samsonov's not not even going to back up. He was he's here in Ottawa. He yep. took the he participated in the morning skate, uh, but he's getting over an illness, and they they just figure, hey, why why risk it? Give him the night off mentally and physically. So Martin Jones is is going to back up, and uh, Joseph Wall's going to make what I think is his fifth consecutive start. Like it, it's it's his net right now. And what a little mm-hmm. parting gift Kyle Dubas gave Tree Living in getting that Joseph Wool extension done before he started to establish establish himself as a real NHL net miner because he's an absolute bargain. And I think it tells you so much of what the organization thinks of Samsonov, the fact they took him all the way through arbitration 
and tried to get them for as cheap as possible and for as short of term as possible. And it's hard to envision him staying here beyond this season. I don't know if you, you move away from him in season or if you're just patient and say, look, he's battled his illness. He's had some mental struggles. His play's been erratic. Let's just work with them, build them up. Hopefully he can be a good tandem mate for Joseph Wall. I'm not willing to write Samson off off entirely because he has proven Mm -hmm. that he's capable of really good stretches of hockey. Uh, But there's no doubt where the pecking order is now, and and Joseph Wall's jumped over him. You know, we've um, uh, let's go back to the uh, the, the idea of Brad for living um, adding players to this team. You know, managers will always tell you, you know, trade deadlines are dictated by the players. And if the players play well and get themselves into a good position, get the team into a good spot, it's up to the general manager to help that team for the playoff run and, you know, for the, the, the race of the postseason. Um, I know injuries are a major mitigating factor here for the Maple Leafs, but is there a sense around the organization that right now, Maybe, you know, they look around the division, you know, Boston hasn't softened at all. Florida hasn't softened at all. I know sometimes Tampa, you look at that game against Dallas last weekend, you know, Dallas, sometimes Tampa doesn't look great, but there's still the Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, Detroit's getting better. Is there a feeling that the Maple Leafs don't have the team this year? Is that a thing around the team? I think there's a concern. They would, they would never say that outright, but there is an increased tension and I think it, it, you mostly see it in the coach in Sheldon Keefe. Um, you know, there, there's a tension there. And, and I, I think it's not because someone, some people have had the theory that, Oh, well he has a new boss now and I, I, maybe tree living uh, allows him to, to be a little bit harder, um, use the whip as opposed to the carrot a little bit more. I, my feeling is that, that he, you know, he studies the numbers because it's not just it's not just the record. It's not just the stat everyone knows, which is they're tied for league worst in in regulation wins. It's not just that the underlying numbers aren't as great. They're not breaking the puck out as efficiently. They're not forechecking as well. They're they're not dominating zone time. They're not holding onto leads. There's lots of little things that I think you know he's spinning positive and saying, hey, we're we're getting points. And they actually did play really well against Boston. But I think that he is looking at his team and seeing some flaws and some bad habits and some slow starts with some players. And and I think he's a a little bit genuinely concerned that maybe this isn't the best edition of the, of the least players that I've had. And uh, so, you know, we're going to see, because, because right now I I think they've Mm -hmm. been fortunate. I I think they're, I think they haven't been playing as well as their record shows. And I think they've they've gone a little bit lucky with all those shootout wins and, and gathered some points that way. Okay, I've got a uh, I got a hot thirty seconds here uh, okay. to fire this one at you. What do you expect tonight? Like the Ottawa Senators are coming off a huge win against one of maybe the best teams in the NHL, the New York Rangers. Maple Leafs have had a nice long rest here. What do you expect this evening? I expect a, a really fired up Sens squad. Uh, apparently they had some internal meetings after they got blown out five nothing by the Panthers, and I was talking to Jacob Chickson yep. a bit a bit about this this morning, and he said that they've really dialed in since then, uh, and I think they're everyone's going to elevate their game a little bit because look look again Thomas Shabbat injured again, and, and I think 
the, yeah. the team, there's more of an urgency around that team than there is against the Leafs. I think the Leafs are a little bit more comfortable. I think this win me- mm-hmm. means more to Ottawa. So I expect the Sens to, to start, you know, guns a-blazing. One of 13 games on the board this evening. Uh, the Maple Leafs facing off against the Ottawa Senators in the nation's capital. Luke, always a pleasure, man. Enjoy the game tonight. All right, thanks, Jeff. Always good talking to you. Luke Fox from Sportsnet.ca covering the Maple Leafs. One of 13 games on the go around the NHL this evening, including... It's going to be weird to see it, but we all want to, right? Patrick Kane as a Detroit Red Wing as the, the Red Wings face off against the San Jose Sharks. Uh, latest news, Philip Roberg down to the American Hockey League. Interesting there. Uh, talk to that about with Elliot Friedman to kick off the show. Thanks to Jana Hefford, Close Julian. You just heard from Luke Fox a second ago. Jen Rolnick, thank you as always. Lance Kennedy, David Sis, and our supervising producer and sometimes fill-in host, Matt Marchese. Enjoy the games. Back tomorrow, 22 hours from now.